This is a Diet of Brussels. In this episode, you'll hear an interview between myself and Stephen Booth, who is co-director of Open Europe. The interview was recorded at their offices uh, in uh, London on the 27th of August 2015. And for some thoughts about what we've talked about, listen to episode 47, uh, where I talk about that and some other interviews that I've done. Maybe it'd be helpful just for uh, those listening to talk a bit about what Open Europe is, what it does in general terms, and also more specifically uh, around the EU and the, the renegotiation. Sure. Um, well, Open Europe is a, um, a non-partisan think tank um, looking at sort of all aspects of, of the EU and um, and how and how and how um, the EU can be reformed. Um, we have an office in Brussels and we also have a partner organisation in Berlin, Open Europe Berlin. Uh, and we kind of look at the EU issue, I guess, from two main tracks, which is sort of the Eurozone and the economics and politics of that, and also the UK's EU relationship, which obviously is increasingly important and topical. Um, but we uh, come from it, I guess, from a kind of um, free market perspective. Um, and um, I guess historically where the origins of Open Europe are in um, the business campaign to keep the pound uh, and the campaign for referendums on both the Constitution and the Lisbon Treaty. So that's kind of where we historically came from. Okay. And thinking uh, more about uh, the situation since May with the general election and the renegotiation referendum that, that's gone there, um, how much have you been, as an organisation, involved in that in uh, in terms of informing debates, uh, informing governments, those kinds of things? Well, I mean, we've obviously been working on um, various areas of the UK-EU relationship for, for many years and um, we'd like to think that kind of now is a time in which we can try and make sure those ideas are, are listened to and, and, and as far as possible, some of them influencing policy and, and, and hopefully become part of the, the strategy in terms of um, reform. Obviously, our former director is now... Um, an advisor in number ten um, on on these issues, so um, we'd like to think that's that's a, uh, an advert for for um, a good advert for the work that we've been doing up to now, and, and illustrates that the influence that, that we hope we've had up to now on the debates. Uh, and I think um, what we will try to do is continue to influence um, the discussion in the UK about the issues and make sure people are kind of, from our point of view, are aware of the trade-offs involved on, on, on either voting in or voting out and what, what, what vote and, and kind of making decisions for our and our, our view from the, the right reasons. Um, and I guess putting pressure on the government to ensure that, that the reform and renegotiation is something that is, is, is really substantial and the limits are tested. Obviously, it's a negotiation. You're not going to get everything you would wish for. And mm. for us, I think that the process is clearly not a one-off and we don't see the referendum as being... Kind of, it's obviously the hugely significant part of this but it's not kind of for us it's not the end point if, if the UK is going to stay in the EU there's many more negotiations to come I'm sure um, so it's about how close you can get to the ideal I guess and, and test, making sure that this is obviously a huge opportunity of which to, to set the agenda mm. um, from, a, from a British perspective but not just from a British perspective from a perspective of a, a sort of more kind of democratic in our view liberalised EU um, uh, so it's an opportunity that shouldn't be wasted okay I'll come back to the, the idea of, of what you'd, you'd like to see. Um, I suppose what might be, be useful is to get a sense of how you see the EU at the moment. I, uh, how do you understand the EU? You know, where, who has 
who's shaping this? Who has power? Where is it strong? Where is it weak? What are the what are the problems? Um, um, well, I think that there's, there's there. I think I think there are some common problems for the whole EU, and all member states, um, and, and all the institutions, and so on. And there are some obviously some particular issues between. I think, I mean, from a UK perspective, the crucial one is obviously um, the relationship between the eurozone, the single currency, and those outside that, and the kind of the tensions I think that that raises. But obviously, as, as a as a as a block, I think there's the general sense that we've got there's there's common sort of demographic problems. There's a as it has is 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 the EU and Irish member states fully equipped to kind of compete in a global economy, um, maintaining the standard of living and social models that people have come to expect, um, and I think there's a sense that we've sort of that Europe has 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 been complacent for far too long about um, the it's sort of the way of its way of life, um, uh, and I think part of the problem is 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 the way that. that um, the way the EU is, is, has <clears throat> the sort of the, the, the common thinking in the EU has been in a certain way, and one, I think one, and the problem with the EU is a very it's a very inflexible structure. Once you've started going in direction for a long time, it's very difficult to reverse that because if things become entrenched, um, kind of repealing law or kind of deregulating is a very difficult process because you have lots of special interests involved, the European Parliament and so on. Um, so it's actually quite difficult to be flexible and adaptable in a world in which increasingly demands that I think of of um, not only national governments but even kind of regional blocks and so on so is is the issue more complacency or the impossibility of or the difficulty of change is it or is it a combination of the two I think it's a combination of the two um, and obviously I mean again there are more fundamental issues about what where you see um, a kind of the European traditional European idea of being that that the more we build up common institutions, the more democratic it will be, and everything else. I take the opposite view that, that handing more power to the European Parliament is being counterproductive. It's actually furthered the gap between citizens and sort of the executive or power um, where power is held. Um, and um, that's obviously been the common view for decades. Um, and I think, and, and the Lisbon Treaty being the last um, example of that. And, um, and I think. That, that the institutions and that mindset have made it harder to adapt to, to the modern world. So, where would you like it to, to move to? I, I suppose there's a question about whether you think the UK has a role in the EU or some analogous uh, organisation mm. at all. Um, but assuming that you, you did have, uh, you see that kind of role, what, what would you like the EU to become? Well, I think there is. There, I mean, obviously, there, there. I mean, I think the single market within the EU is is the sound basis for cooperation, um, and we think that's that's the area where the EU genuinely can add value. Um, but I think there has to be a. But I think so. I think there's two issues. There's the economic issues. Where I think where just Europe has to become much more competitive, um, and I think that does probably mean looking at kind of areas where you might. Um, deregulate and become much more flexible um, and ready to compete globally and, and looking at trade um, trying to boost the single market internally but also look at ways in which um, we can reduce trade barriers with the rest of the world through agreements or even unilaterally these are areas I think that, that obviously will benefit the entire EU you've obviously got much more complicated issues around for example what, is, what does the Eurozone need to do to strengthen um, and, and, and sort of be on, tra- be on track for growth and prosperity I think that, that raises 
much much for bigger issues for those countries about um, the trade off between kind of what needs to keep the show on the road and, and and what kind of people are prepared to accept in terms of giving up national sovereignty and and, uh, and the democratic challenges that poses. Um, but I think in terms of I think countries who don't share the single currency, I think for those countries it clearly makes much more sense to have much greater power. Um, Sort of devolved back to the national parliaments, national governments, and boosting the member state role in the process, um, possibly at the expense of some of the institutions, the community institutions, um, or at least or at least rebalancing um, power back towards the member states as opposed to consistently strengthening the European Parliament and and um, that way. So I think that's that would be a key thing. Okay. And just you talked about the challenges of the eurozone and clearly that's an ongoing mm. uh, debate about how you address the the, the causes and the, the manifestations of the crisis that uh, the eurozone's had is does that suggest that there needs to be a, a strengthening of common provision you know regardless of whether member states have uh, a different kind of role do you need to have provisions in terms of uh, mutualization of debts euro bonds uh, this kind yeah, of well, that's obviously thing. subject to fierce, fierce debate. I mean, I, 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 I guess I'm quite traditionalist in the sense that I would think that that if, if it's it's to me the fundamental question is either the membership has to change in terms of it being reduced, um, or you have to go for further integration, which probably means um, some sort of some kind of fiscal union, um, either through a budget or through common debt or something. Other people disagree with that on the economics, but I think to me that's that is that's that's if you look at currency unions throughout history, that's would suggest the is the solution. But obviously, again, it's hard. It's very difficult for an outside member state or an individual, or whoever else, to, to prescribe that because, as I said, it raises fundamental democratic questions, and and and, and to that there is no easy answer. And I think that's that's obviously why you're seeing this huge, this long period of prolonged kind of let's kick the can down the road as far as possible because no one wants to face up to those very difficult choices. No, I think that's that's clearly a key part of the problem is that there aren't any easy answers uh, that Yeah, exactly. There were I think they would have been taken by now. And I think that's the, that's the that's the sort of unenviable position to if if you're if you're Germany everyone kind of everyone's looking to Germany to make to, to sort of take the lead. But I mean is there is there is if you're a German leader it's quite difficult I think because you're gonna be the bad guys to either to one to one set of people. So Come back to the UK then. Um, you, you talked about what you'd like to see. Uh, clearly, we're in a process of renegotiation. Uh, what would you want that? Re- Do you think that renegotiation can produce the ideal that you talked about, or is it only going to produce a step towards it, or is it uh, going to be a, a fairly empty exercise? Well, I think we're, still, we're we're having to wait and see. I mean, we, we don't know until negotiations really get underway and really kind of produce anything. But I I, I think that um, it's obviously unrealistic to expect everything that you would desire to be achieved um, in a period of eighteen months or whatever it might be. Um, and um, also, I think what what obviously makes it quite difficult at the moment, as we said, is is that the eurozone it's not it's not clear exactly where the eurozone is heading. So that makes negotiation quite difficult because you're not negotiating with a cohesive block who just has said well this is this is how we're going to organize things let's 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 see how that works so i think it necessarily for that reason can only take you so far but i think it can't doesn't it doesn't mean it can't be ambitious and doesn't mean it can't lay down 
um, at least change the direction in the in the right in my view the right way. Um, and I think that is I think the biggest strategic issue there is obviously about um, is the relationship between um, the eurozone and the non eurozone. And I think that means um, safeguards for the non eurozone member states in terms of ensuring they're not outvoted um, by the eurozone, which can act obviously if it acts together can outvote the rest. And uh, while that's often seen as a hypothetical thing, I think that the recent episode around um, the Greek bailout and the kind of the, the bridge loan, which was basically an example of where, for, for, for political expediency, the, the non-Eurozone countries got roped into to the bridge loan for Greece, illustrates the kind of kind of things that can happen. I think that that was a view shared not just in the UK but other non-Eurozone states realised, okay, this is a real this is a real issue that we not, we need to we need to address. Um, so I think that's something that has to be looked at, and, and how and how the single market functions when you, if you potentially do have a much more cohesive eurozone that might want to do things around sort of more labour market regulation, things like greater um, um, cooperation on things like social security and pension systems to increase labour mobility in, in the currency zone. These are areas where I think you're going to find it very difficult to get EU wide agreement, but you might need it in the eurozone. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, there is no sort of treaty process by which to do that other than sort of ad hoc and it all gets very messy. Um, and I think, so I think we need to be heading in the direction in which the Eurozone is able to do those kind of things in a way in which the other member states aren't sort of automatically assumed to be involved, not just the UK and Denmark who aren't in the Euro. Um, and in a way in which the non-participants um, are insured against kind of um, being sort of negatively impacted by anything the Eurozone does to, to, to further its own ends um, and ensuring the single market still remains um, the property of all member states. Do you see uh, support for those kind of ideas in other member states, other institutions? Because uh, this is always one of the questions is how mm. much is this the British just being British and doing their own thing and how much is this about responding to broader trends? And you talked to already about those, those bigger yeah. uh, trends. Well, I think, for this, I think for this basic principle, I think everyone, I think everyone recognises this is the fundamental tension um, I don't think necessarily everyone agrees on how you solve it, and I think part of the problem for that is that, that um, as I said, there's, there's there's very different views currently within the eurozone about what the eurozone should be, um, and that 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 necessarily makes it quite difficult to decide on on kind of what kinds of things the eurozone would be doing without the rest. Or um, so I think that that that's obviously that makes it difficult, but doesn't make it impossible to kind of start drawing out kind of. What, are, what what is really essential for a functioning single market of 28 member states um, I would argue that some of the things that are done at the level 28 now are not necessarily essential for trade amongst those member states um, think, well things like I think like the area of kind of social policy for example it's not I mean it's it's part of the grand bargain of the single market but it's not clear why that's necessary to have trade amongst those member states um, that's something that could be could be a national issue. Um, but if you if you if you want to have a much closer economic union, so for example, in the eurozone, you can see why you want might want much closer coordination of that because you're talking about, um, as I said, things like pension systems, um, kind of portability of benefits and that kind of thing, which is kind of there at the EU level, but it's not really developed enough. Um, if you really want a functioning kind of single labour market, which you, again I think is part of the solution to the eurozone um, problem. Um, so I think again, this is the, the, the facts of life necessitate different degrees of integration 
Um, and, and the EU already accepts that in, in, in other areas, in Schengen and non-Schengen, and um, the UK's opt-out from the euro itself. Um, so it, it, I think it's just extending that principle on, a, on a, it not just being the last gasp solution to the UK threatening to veto something, but actually just recognising that there are different um, choices have been made by member states about how far they want to be involved. Um, and that the logical conclusion of that is a much more flexible structure for the EU. And that's I think that's still a, a battle that is, is, <laughs> is, is ongoing and has to be won. And I think that's, that's, that's the battle that has to be won if the UK is ever going to be comfortable inside the European Union in the longer term. Do you think that that's a... a achievable aim a comfortable relationship um i think it's achievable aim in the longer term i still think i think i think irrespective of the referendum i think if the uk votes to stay in in this referendum it doesn't i don't think that i think it's hard to see how that definitively settles the issue because as i said i think that until the eurozone it's clear what the eurozone is really going to be about um there's always going to be an uncertainty about that that black relationship is going to be it's going to, it's going to be very sort of in flux and fluid and it's going to be it's going to be unclear until it's clear what the um how the eurozone really would function in a sort of sustainable long-term um, path and that, that's i think that until that's resolved i think it's always going to be an uneasy relationship and that's not to mention all the other issues like free movement and uh and the budget and those other things that need fixing but in terms of the 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 the, the big strategic issue for me i think is this relationship between the eurozone ins and outs okay just moving to, to, to sort of the, the, the next stage that comes after renegotiation, which is the referendum. Uh, clearly, we're still at a stage where we don't have formal campaigns. We don't know what the renegotiation might produce. Um, how much do you think uh, that there will be a, a substantive debate about the place of Britain in the EU, in the world more generally? Uh, do, do you think... Do you feel optimistic that that's possible to have something that is a useful debate? Talking about mm. the because you've talked about how the EU is a constantly changing and evolving organisation. Um, I'm not sure whether you, uh, having just talked with UKIP, where uh, the distinct impression was that that was a, a bad thing, the constant evolution, mm. and there was no status quo. I don't know if you put a, a value judgment on whether that evolution is necessary and acceptable or problematic, um, but. Do you, do you see that that is likely to be a, an opportunity, the referendum campaign in the narrower periods, yeah. to, to be to to find uh, a, a broader consensus and a more informed and comfortable position? Well, I certainly think that that I think that's that's part of the issue, isn't it? Is, is, is understanding that obviously clearly the EU is going to continue to develop just for the facts of life. It, that when new crises and new things will will, will necessi- necessitate change. But I think the, 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 there's certainly a sense. I think it, that where I think I, my view, sort of the root of British Euroscepticism, is that Britain is constantly being dragged part of the way to somewhere it doesn't want to go, um, and that's being driven by eurozone integration. And I think that's I think that's a very real thing and an understandable concern. And I think that's I think that's 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 my concern about um, EU membership. I think, and that's and, and, and it's a sense that it's gone beyond what. There is a democratic mandate for, and it's and it's and it's towards an end in which we never we don't actually really want to be anyway. So why are we why are we taking part in some of this stuff? Um, so I, I think that's that's a very real concern. I think that's part of the debate, and I think the extent to which the in campaign or the government through its renegotiation can 
reassure people that they've actually they've got greater control over um, the UK's sort of participation in European integration. Um, I think that that will be that will be an important part, probably not not necessarily the central part, but I think it'll be an important underlying kind of part of of, of the campaign and reassuring people that combined with the referendum lock we've now got in the UK in terms of further integration and the kind of the new relationship we have with the Eurozone and, and, and at the EU level, um, we won't go further than, than than we have to and we won't go further than we are now without your consent on the big issues. Um, obviously there's going to be new directives, there's going to be new things, but in terms of kind of giving up big chunks of national sovereignty, that's not going to happen without... Um, it's not on the agenda for us, but if it was, it would go to another referendum. I think that would, I think that would reassure a lot of people about kind of where 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 we sit in the whole thing. Because I think at the moment there's there's definitely a sense that that yeah, the UK is sort of constantly being um, kind of dragged somewhere it doesn't want to go. Last question, just on, on on that point, you talked about the referendum lock. That's that's been in place for five years now. Um, under the, the previous coalition government, did we need to have a referendum to clear? Does, does it clear the air? Can mm. it clear the air? Was it was it something that you, you think necessarily had to happen? Well, I think there's. I mean, currently, I think the referendum serves two purposes, doesn't it? There's one is it one is sort of that precisely that clearing the air, which I think is necessary. When when you have that referendum is not clear to me, but I think I think that referendum is necessary at some point or another because. We've got to the point at which, um, sort of, it's become such a poisonous issue, and and I think because there's been so much change in the relationship, it's undoubtedly changed, and and our our position in the EU has changed because of the fact the eurozone is changing fundamentally. It's it's, it's clearly a different, entirely different situation than it was in the 1970s, and I think there's also quite. I mean, there's, there's you have to acknowledge that the way that the previous treaties, particularly under the Labour governments, were passed. Um, without having the referendums that were promised and and so on, there's a dubious democratic democratic mandate for those treaties in the first place in the UK. Um, I think that 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 reckoning had to, had to happen. And the second, obviously, is is the referendum as kind of negotiating tool, um, which is which is also part of the process now. And I think again, there's 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 upsides and downsides to that. The the, the upside is clearly that it focuses people's minds not only in the UK about kind of are we really prepared to pull the trigger and leaving um, after we've negotiated? Um, but it also focuses minds on the other side of the table about this is a real prospect if if, if th- th- this this could actually end up with the UK out. And I still think the polls, of the insiders in the league, I still think there's a po- possibility that it could be a very narrow vote in, in the end if there isn't reform. Um, and obviously the downside of that is that there's a, there's a, there was a timetable and the timetable doesn't necessarily fit in with developments elsewhere in Europe and I think major change is going to come in the Eurozone but possibly it might the major treaty change for the Eurozone may be two or three even five years after the UK's had its referendum um, so I still think that there, there will be major change if the UK stays in um, after we stay in but I guess the plus side would be that we'd have kind of set the ground rules for that and, and there'd be a new mandate for kind of this is what EU membership means to Britain and um, it would possibly strengthen your hand in those negotiations. That's a sort of understanding of this is what this is what the British public means by EU membership. It doesn't mean um, kind of being dragged into the euro.